0: Hello, and welcome to What We've Learned, another episode from Series 3. And as ever, it's myself, Steve Kemish, and Shane Reddy. Uh, but we're not alone. In fact, we're joined by somebody today, Shane, who's going to talk to us in a roundabout fashion about squiggly careers, whatever that means.
1: It's such a lovely term, isn't it? Squiggly career. Uh, I adore it. Yes, Emma Garrett, I think, is the perfect embodiment um, of the term, which is that, you know, where you end up um, in your career is not necessarily where you planned or where you thought you might uh, end up, but he is just been appointed as development director at Eastbourne College. Um, and it's a fascinating role, and she's going to tell us a little bit more about it. But she's also had a huge experience around the world, um, but also locally here in Bedford as deputy lieutenant bepercher and also running businesses founding businesses and masses of charity work so we're in for a bit of a treat about learning through a interesting and varied um experiences I think
0: yeah absolutely and in fact founding family as well anyone that's listening in that's had to juggle uh, the life work-life balance then you can learn an awful lot from Emma as well in terms of how you do that but a really inspiring session this one from somebody who wears many many hats and I'm sure even if, like me, you've never heard the term squiggly career, can very much relate to to Emma's journey and how one part of her world can lead on to other things, close to home or, indeed, as we find out, all over the world. So let's hear from Emma Garrett.
1: Well, welcome, Emma. Really pleased to have you on today's podcast.
2: Thank you very much. It's great to be here.
1: So I thought we'd start and sort of kick off um, really reflecting back really uh, and I won't ask how long ago but when you left university did you did you leave with a sort of burning desire vocational plan you had a career all mapped out or or not?
2: I uh, always wanted to work in television so it wasn't necessarily that I thought of it as a long-term career but it's an area that I wanted to get into I studied English and theatre at uni and did lots of acting and uh, enjoyed that. And I just I'd, I'd always thought that TV was something I'd like to get into. Um, and so basically, that's what I did. But it wasn't a, an easy thing to do. Uh, there was lots of knocking on doors. Um, I didn't go straight into it. I was temping. Uh, and I did that thing, which is is probably one of the first lessons I learned, uh, which was persevering and just being tenacious and just sort of finding a way. Uh, if no was the answer, asking a different question, that sort of thing. So I basically um, made friends with a receptionist at an independent TV company. Not I wasn't completely callous about it she was a very lovely lady but we sort of because I kept phoning her up trying to speak to the MD and he was never there or never available or uh, you know I was I would pop by and drop in to see if he was there and he never was and eventually uh, I phoned her one day and she said well he he is busy at the moment Um, I'm leaving the office at five I think he'll probably be here much longer than that. Uh, which I took as an invitation. And sure enough, I turned up at 5.15 and managed to sit in front of him and then got offered my first job in TV. So um, that's how it all started, really.
0: It's interesting, isn't it, Emma, just what you described, those skills, that if you took the industry out of what you've talked about, that would be a very, very transferable uh Piece of knowledge for anyone is that perseverance, that tenacity, and also that lateral thinking of right. Okay, if the the normal route through the door is is closed, which are the other ways round? Which I'm sure has served you well in as your careers moved on. Is that ability to to find different ways to solve the problem?
2: Absolutely, it has. And I think the other thing is just connecting. You know, it's crucial to connect with people and uh, if you do manage to make a connection well then just keep keep on at it I mean funnily enough my daughter's just experienced exactly the same thing Uh, she's a graduate she's been in London trying to find work you know applying for hundreds and hundreds of roles and the one that she's now got was the one that didn't happen first time but she was emailed by the company and she made a connection with that person and that's basically how she then got in the door, got the interview, and, and once she sort of sat face to face, albeit virtually, um, she she was offered the position. So in fact, they've created a position for her. So it yeah, it just you just have to become more than a name, I think.
1: That's really interesting, you know, that I know you as a consummate networker, and I think people who who are, it's often seen as, oh, well, it's easy, it's something that you do naturally. Um, but actually it is a skill and it's a skill that can be learned but what why do you think you if you like you had that innate realization very early on you know let's be honest about this I can say it was before the days of LinkedIn
2: uh,
1: (laughs) that that this was something that was important to do was it a learned skill through the family was it school was it where did you learn that from?
2: Yeah it was definitely a learned skill through the family I mean my grandmother my father's mother (laughs) was a larger than life character and and you know she would never have called herself a networker but that was exactly what she was I mean she'd sit she used to go on these coach trips around the place and she'd sit on the coach and by the end of it you know she'd have five new best friends and they'd all be planning their next trip together uh and my my parents uh, similarly um you know my dad taught at at school for 25 years in fact interestingly the school I'm now going back to work at but um yeah he taught there for 25 years built up a massive community I was there at the school and and there was just there were you know links being made with people all the time and there were people in and out of the house all the time and I'm just fortunate that I had that sort of social side to my upbringing that then became normal and natural and um and just it, it may be learned but not not kind of deliberately learned it's more by a sort of osmosis if you like
0: we also relies on being genuine as well as you said you weren't just callously trying to befriend the receptionist it was actually trying to to do it yes of course a bit for your game but do it on a human level rather than just see them as a as a piece that opens up another part of the board um so you know it takes that emotional intelligence as well emma that must have been there perhaps you know taught or or, or just nurtured as you've gone yeah. through your life
2: yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, I, you know, I would definitely describe myself as a people person. Um, <laughs> I think it got to the point, Shane will probably agree with this, because she knows me from, from Bedford and, and my sort of work in the town, but people would see me coming and cross over the road so that they didn't get emmered and invited to take part in some charity or, you know, my latest initiative. Um, so I I, I definitely... It's kind of something I'm almost, it's almost an addiction, if you like, making connections and and putting people together and trying to find out, you know, their skills and how they would work in terms of whatever I might be doing. And and I love all that. I love how that all comes together.
1: I think I share that love and I think people who know me well, you know, it, it's it's very rewarding because actually it's not often not about you at all, it's about the other person and you just really you know, I, I personally love being Embered, it's a a, a great <laughs> great thing to be targeted <laughs> because it's actually opening opportunities Um, that I might not be aware of or even know and I think when I've realized that actually a lot of people find it very difficult and it's not something that they would initiate but when somebody else does it for them hugely appreciative so I think it you know it's very much about that that giving and then getting back um, which I think for me you know I've seen where it's taken you and one of the reasons for having you um, talk to us today on this you know Series about leadership and pioneering is. I really feel you've demonstrated a squiggly career, Emma, brilliantly. So where where did the where did you go next? You know, you did your researching in TV. I think you even got to work with Deck, which is interesting in itself. <laughs> what what happened next?
2: Yeah, they they were very little then. It was on Bite like a Groove. Uh, I worked for an independent TV production company, and we that was one of the programs that we made. Um, and I started as a researcher. Uh, Well, no, actually, I started as production secretary and then I became a researcher and then um, I actually presented a show uh, on Time Tees, which then was picked to go, uh, you know, to go on the network. But at that point, um, I was married and my husband got a posting. He was in the army, got a posting to Australia. So uh, all my hopes of being on the big screen, uh, were dashed, and I we moved to Australia. Uh, it wasn't such a hardship, I have to say. I love I love Australia, and I'd spent time there before, uh, so I was delighted to be going back. Um, but in terms of my squiggly career, well, uh, my husband was doing a job that was uh, running training courses in the jungle, so he sort of had three weeks prep, three weeks in the jungle, and then three weeks off, and in those three weeks, we were determined to do as much exploring around Australia as we could, and so I again decided that I would temp. Um, I got a job at uh, Griffith University on the Gold Coast in the physiotherapy department. So not my not my area of expertise in the slightest, um, being sort of always arts focused. Um, but I could I, I had the skills that they needed. We got on extremely well, and they basically said, "Well." you know we want you here but when you when you go off every six weeks for three weeks that's fine just come back to us when you're done so that's what happened so I worked there for the whole of our time in Australia um, loving the travel enjoying the job it was a very vibrant community made lots of friends in the in the university and then uh, had our first child so um, then I stopped working to uh, have her and then we came back to the UK um, and then Basically, proceeded to have a child every two years, uh, uh, till we had our fifth. Um, but by then, we'd moved out to the Middle East, so uh, I had number five out there, and uh, I did sort of work out there, although it was unpaid. We, a group of us, set up an organisation running arts events. Um, for local charities, raising money for local charities with visiting um, lecturers and speakers and musicians. And although we started that with my dad doing a um, an evening soiree on sex in Shakespeare, which did uh, <laughs> get a few eyebrows raised and get quite a big audience, uh, we then by the end of it, we were being approached by the Italian embassy um, and asked if we would put on a concert for them for a visiting Italian pianist. And between us, we we were all volunteers, we were just doing something, um, you know, for our enjoyment and to benefit local charities. And we did everything. We did the press releases, we did the poster design, we did the um, tickets, we did all the hospitality and everything. And, and so that was just, again, using skills that we all had um, and pulling something together that was thoroughly enjoyable. And I guess that was the first of my sort of charity fundraising activities really
0: well the subject the the word raising is an interesting one emma because most people listening in gay right she's had five kids we could probably stop the podcast at that point she's you know there's no time to do anything else but so you've raised five children uh, a wife traveling around the world and finding time to to use those kind of skills to, to network and and to do good and i wonder particularly with the, the Bahrain bit but maybe with Australia as well i mean we, we started talking about how you know just to get to, to get to know people to, to network as we've talked about but did you find significant differences in different parts of the world on how you had to 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 navigate that or was there a big crossover of actually people to people it's the same sort of buttons to press to, to connect people to find people
2: yeah i mean i think uh kids are a great connector because whether you're in the soft play or the you know swimming pool or the school playground whatever and you see somebody else you know either looking lonely or um or you know with a kid who wants to come and play or whatever it is that's that's that initial connection and then everything can build from there i think uh when we moved back to the uk again that was my initial contact with people in bedford because i i didn't know anybody here uh and Really didn't want to leave Bahrain, and uh, it, so it was going to be tough. Whatever happened, but actually, what made it for me was the amazing people that I just met in the playground, and they're still great friends. You know, 13 years later, and our kids, whether they've grown up together or not, you know, they're still uh, the the initial connecting point. Um, and and I, I I think if you if you move somewhere without kids, perhaps it's much harder to actually make those initial friendships.
1: I think it's really interesting because I think I do some mentoring and, and it's a chat that I have with um, people who are taking, you know, maybe what they see as a career break, male or female, to, to have children or, you know, in terms of um, making those life choices and often very worried that they see that they'll lose skills or that, that you know, that there's nothing going on that they, will make them employable when they return to work for those who take a complete break but you're saying complete opposite that actually you continued to build up useful skills meet interesting people and i know you know you'd started to do even more charity work at that time so is that something you think because you didn't you didn't see an issue emma that it was just what what you were doing anyway rather than the perhaps if you'd been in corporate life and it was suddenly you know a stop if you like and change um
2: yeah absolutely, I mean I think it's the employers that have got the problem because you know the the skills that you have to develop as a parent for goodness sake are you know incredible and whether that's all the multitasking you have to do, whether that's the sort of mentoring that you have to do for your kids, whether that's the problem solving that you have to do, whether that's the time management, I mean all those skills are absolutely crucial in any career or any work environment and and if the employers can't see the benefit of those and if they write somebody off because they've not been in the office for some years well I think that's definitely their loss I think you know this I am I definitely learn enormous skills and confidence and um, understanding through being a parent which I continue you know every every level that they're at every age that they're at you learn new things and you have to develop new ways of communicating with your kids and new strategies to help them through their problems and difficulties um, and failures as well as their successes and all of those things are transferable skills absolutely.
0: It's interesting it links actually we we interviewed Rachel Tranter on episode two of this series who, who started women on boards in the UK and similar conversation the word confidence was going through my head when you were just talking then around you know, how much of it are you aware? And, and Rachel was making the point that a lot more women and maybe men as well, but focusing on that, were, were more capable of offering at, at higher levels than perhaps they were aware of. And it's that self-awareness and self-confidence that I have learned skills and they are transferable, uh, but being consciously aware of it to, to try and you know, join the dots so that you can go back into you know, perhaps after bringing up a family or if you want to make a change in career, as as the squiggly extremely squiggly line if uh, we started to talk about uh, shows <laughs> is that you know you, you've transferred um yeah how you've got from from nearly being Ant and Deck and Emma uh, up in Tyne Tees to PJ and Duncan land through Australia Bahrain and then back into Bedford is quite extraordinary so we're back in Bedford Emma what what's next what once you've you know you landed with the kids got that settled uh, what was the next challenge you, you gave yourself
2: so uh, once again, I uh, started off once my youngest was in nursery. I started off um, thinking about what I was going to do, and a job came up at, at my elder daughter's school, which was a temporary thing. And again, you know, temping—I uh, don't know quite whether that's still a, a thing these days. But for me, I, I got my my typing. I did my intensive typing course one summer, and it was one of the best things I did because I could touch type and. Um, it just it got me into so many different different roles over the years and so I got a job um, at this school uh, covering reception um, and again that was a great way to meet more people and through that um, I met the wife of the music teacher who was a marketer and she said after a lengthy conversation why don't you come and work for us um, I think you've got some great skills and um so that's what I did. So I, I left the school. I went to work for the product marketing company and um, started off working on different accounts. And it was very sort of early on in the whole social media um, revolution. And they asked me if I if I'd look at social media because they weren't really doing it at that point. So that's what I did. So I did some training and and found out more about about the whole social media world and um And so that's what I did for them. And then um, in Bedford, there's a park called Russell Park. And in the middle of the park, there was a a kiosk building, basically toilets. And uh, it was on the edge of a putting green and they rented out putters to visitors to the park. And when I I lived very near that park. And one of the first things I did when I moved to Bedford was go to the park with the kids. I saw the kiosk and I thought, great coffee went over asked for a cup of coffee and, and the girl behind the counter looked at me like i had three heads and said oh no we we just it's just putters, there's no there's no drinks um and having you know frequented many a park in my time with the kids I, i'm always on the lookout for the the coffee and um and there was none available so that was when my mind started thinking well surely i could do something here i could turn this into a, a some kind of coffee coffee shop and so that was the next thing that I did. So I approached the council and I said, "You know you're missing a trick here. Um, can I present my ideas to you?" Which I did. Uh, and then it bizarrely then went out to tender, so they were inviting other people to pitch for my idea. But luckily, I think my chocolate brownies that I took in for my presentation <laughs> did the trick. It um, very... doesn't count as a local council bribe. Well, no, 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 no. I'm sure it was all fair and above. It was board, a sweetener. But, yes. Um, and so I so I then took that on. So I left the product marketing company and just set up my own social media business um, uh, and did that as well as as well as running the kiosk in Russell Park. Um, And still
1: the children. So, you know, this is a real, really interesting to me because it goes back to where you started and sort of saying, you know, um, you know, wanting an opportunity and making it happen. And I think just sometimes just seeing an opportunity. But it's really fascinating to me that you didn't just see and do the kiosk, but at the same time, as you said, you had your social media consulting and you were also starting to do some quite heavy lifting in charity work in Bedford and we'll come on and talk about you know suit first but how did you know in terms of juggling time but how did one feed off the other Emma?
2: Well the the kiosk was great in terms of because I had the social media experience I could um, do a lot of online work to build up the profile so um, it, you know it, it flew pretty quickly and also because it was a gap in the market it was something that was needed and so many people said to me over the years oh I've I've always thought about doing this and what a great idea I always thought I'd I'd do this um but I just I guess I had the I don't know the bloody mindedness to just get on and do it and have a go um
0: well probably the insatiable need for caffeine with five kids well yes exactly
2: (laughs) that's that's what it all came down to ultimately yeah yeah but
1: I think it's fascinating to me that you know that social media and and some of the things that people say oh yes you know running a cafe in a pot but it was far more than that because it it became very quickly you know a community hub and in fact it then led to another business didn't it but but it was the things that you did because you understood your customers through the social media so and understood them not just through that but because you were talking to them so it wasn't just a coffee but you did things like story time and other stuff as well didn't you Emma?
2: Yeah I think again it's it's what I say to my kids all the time is that everything you do in your life leads to the next thing. It's definitely a journey. It's like Lego building bricks, you know, every little brick you you add to the tower and that makes who you are. And so, you know, I had kids, so I knew that mums need something to do with their little ones, you know, on a on a damp, dull Monday morning, just to get out of the house. Uh, and we did charity fun runs. We did a Where's Wally charity fun run. Uh, We used to do arts and crafts activities. We did some stuff with Sustrans, the bike charity. Uh, And one of my favourite favourite things was the Christmas Eve carols. Uh, So we decided we'd we'd just do carols on Christmas Eve with mulled wine and mince pies. And I remember the very first time we did it, I was um, in business with a, a partner initially. And she and I were, were standing in the kiosk and it was about half past three I think it started at four and there was nobody there and we had gallons of mulled wine on the go we had the the keyboard player poised and ready uh and there was just nobody and we were just like oh my god we've we've really really kind of made a bad mistake here we haven't thought this through properly what maybe it's clashing with some other services or something Anyway, sure enough, about 10 minutes later, from every corner of the park, the horde started coming in their red and white Father Christmas hats. Uh, And we had about 300 people at that first one, I think. Um, And it was amazing because you had grandparents, you had babies, you had young children. Everyone was joining in. We had bells and tambourines and... Um, very informal uh, but the only thing we didn't have was Jesus and the donkey really I mean it it was fantastic and continued to grow and grow until I think the last time we did it, there were probably about 500 people there.
0: Wow it's the community bit isn't it because I was going to ask you 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 started the social media um, agency but we're also dropped in to kind of understand it but for me so when you started it social media wasn't even probably a term Emma it was about social networking um, platforms and what you've got there is again marry your understanding of technology digitally with the consummate ability to bring people together is why you got 300 people in a park so forget whether it is a social media platform or a social networking platform you literally had social networking going on with mold wine to boot
2: yeah yeah but you know it's kind of uh I, I always said I was an accidental businesswoman it's kind of that just the way things happened, it was it was never this mapped out kind of ambitious career where I had to tick things off along the way. And I guess what that's what we're talking about, this whole squiggly thing. It was just the way things evolved and the way things happened. And then you see something that works, and you and you then continue to do that because it works. Um, and and I loved it. I mean, I'm so fortunate, really, that every single job that I've done. I've loved and I don't know I was thinking about that this morning actually I don't know if that's because of the job or because of me because some of the jobs I was going back to when I traveled uh, before I got married and was in Australia I remembered I sold water in shopping centers those massive kind of water coolers and water canisters and I mean that's not the greatest job in the world but I loved it I had such fun uh and it and it taught me a great respect as well for whenever i 'm stopped in you know shopping centers by those poor people trying to sell something, even if i 'm not going to buy it, I always will stop <laughs> and talk to them because i 've been there and I know what it 's like and how how soul destroying it can be, but you just try and, and make the most of it and that's you need the, you know you need the income at that time that 's what you 're doing to to feed yourself and pay your rent I think that 's interesting because that 's
1: something another another one of our guests touched on is actually at the time when you do it. Um, and this was Ian Lovett he said you know he wasn't thinking about founding a business to sell he was basically creating something which would earn him some money as you say to you know to pay the mortgage and I think there's often a perhaps a misconception I think particularly and I'm going to be very ageist here but for those who've grown up watching Dragon's Den or um, you know other similar business programs is that you know you start at the age of you know 18 with an idea and go and found a business where actually the reality I think is the ones that are successful like you much more about seeing that opportunity and making it happen for other reasons but you did go on and expand the 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 hospitality empire didn't you because in fact pavilion in the park was um, the next uh step tell us a bit well, about that yeah again it was a sort of
2: a, a, a sort of It was almost like the kiosk was a dress rehearsal for the pavilion because the pavilion was a far bigger building, again, an empty building in the middle of a a stunning park. But the sort of reputation of the park had, had gone downhill. People weren't really using it. Some people I spoke to when I was doing my kind of market research didn't even know it was there or had never been in it. And they lived in the middle of Bedford um so there was this stunning victorian pavilion building which was basically used to store park benches and lawnmowers and things and i'd walk past it and i'd just sort of dream of of opening that as a as a community hub and um that's that's what happened it went out to tender i mean it had been out to tender a few times i think the council hadn't really been happy with with the people that had applied um to run it or with their ideas and so the kiosk for me was the perfect way to show that I could do it because I'd I'd already done it in a park. Okay, albeit on a smaller scale, but I'd built up my fan base, my audience, uh, my customers, who I could easily then transfer to the other park without missing out because they're, as Shane knows, they're two very different entities. One is literally just takeaway, which is great for dog walkers and people going to the playground with their kids. And the other, I was really keen to sort of focus on the food and especially after my experiences in Australia, I guess, where where I just loved all those um, kind of park cafes and beach cafes and that informal kind of setting um, in a really nice environment. And um, yeah, and so that's when that's when we opened up there. And um, again, you know, I just love the whole the whole thing and the and the communicating with your customers and and I think you kind of become this is good and bad but you kind of become synonymous with the with the place and people would come and they'd and if I wasn't there uh, although I was there pretty much all the time um if I wasn't there they'd be oh you know I came to the pavilion but you weren't there um and the challenge is to make to make that okay to make it okay for people to come and even if you're not there they still feel as as looked after um, and get the sort of experience that you would want them to get if you were there.
0: That's an interesting parallel, isn't it, for small businesses that, uh, you know, you, you can't, if, you, if you're the owner founder of the business, you've got to be able to devolve responsibility, but also to, to that point, experience as well. Uh, unless, Emma, you're about to tell us in your squiggly line you developed a cloning machine, and you're, well, <laughs> we're talking to Emma Four at the moment, the other three are out doing things. You can only well, be like- so so far, right?
2: that would be nice but it's it's about devolving responsibility but it's also about making those people that work for you uh want to be responsible and and you know it it's about being a being a leader but in a way that that you don't get any of the credit that that they get the credit because they're learning to do it as well if that makes sense
0: yeah absolutely does i think it's it's also um i would say again it's where cultures and values come through as well you know, you, you'll employ the right kind of people and empower them as well, that they are confident enough to, to be Emma or to, to do things the way Emma would do them without feeling like they need to come back to to check every time. It's that it's a very tricky balance, isn't it? If we get the right people that are are armed, ready with the right kind of skills, particularly in that hospitality environment, that customer facing place, they're armed with the skills, yeah. but equally armed with the confidence that, yeah, I'm going to do it the right way. I don't need to go back to be checked every time.
2: One of my uh, employees uh came up with a hashtag which was wwegd which was what would emma garrett do uh and she always said she always used to think about that if there was a, a situation that she didn't quite know what to do she would just think back right what would what would emma do what would she do and then that was sort of that was her benchmark if you like and, that, and she said that really helped her and interesting because actually
1: it might not have been what you would have done but gave her the confidence to make a decision which is really interesting because one of the things I really love and yes I'm lucky enough to have been to many very happy events um, both at the the kiosk but also at, at the pavilion is that it was about to me always about the whole experience you know yes amazing food like the brunches were just the best but it was things like also you know doing the pop-up theatre so was this people coming to you and sort of thinking oh this is a place where we might be able to do it or serendipity if you like or sort of you had that culture or was it you more reaching out thinking that would be different that would be nice
2: yeah it was more it was more it was (laughs) It was me reaching out but it was also me me doing what I wanted to do you know it gave, it was a great place to be in the middle of a park because you basically could do whatever you liked um and I as a child had seen for example with the theatre I'd seen um that theatre company perform and, and always loved it as a child and just thought well well Bedford Parts perfect to to bring them over um and that's what we did so that the, the chat that was part of this company I'd seen you know as a sort of 10 year old he was still he was still running the theatre company and um so that, and I just love being able to do that so you know it was always something that I personally would have wanted to attend and that's that was sort of my my touch point if you like you know w- is it something that that I would want to go to and if it was well then I'd, I'd sort of work around it and 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 put it on
0: Right so let's just recap then Emma on the squiggly line we, we've we've done TV we've done international travel and charitable work we've we've conquered the parks and kiosks and pavilions and by the way I've been to both as well I'm not that far away my mum lives by Bedford Park and when the world returns it will be one of the first places I'm sure I will be pressured to go is to get <laughs> ex-Benedict in in the pavilion or outside mm-hmm. the pavilion probably um what's next what, what else You surely you've just given up by then you've had a rest and gone I've done it all I'm kind of you know, I've conquered the world. I'll stop uh, or not. What what comes next, Emma?
2: Well, uh, what comes next? It's um, you never know what what path your life is going to take, do you? And um, my husband was very ill with cancer for nine years. And uh, this was while I was running the pavilion and the kiosk. And probably it was partly a distraction for me to to keep busy and to keep working. Uh and he lost his fight uh, in December 2018. So that's a bit of a, a kind of uh, point in your life at which you you have to stop, however busy you need to be, and take stock. Um, and in fact, I did a, a walk for MacMillan from um, Brighton to Eastbourne, a 26 mile walk. Um, in June of 2019, so the June after he died, and there was a group of nine of us, uh, most of whom were actually friends from school. Uh, My daughter did it as well, she was 13 at that point, 14, Um, and one of the friends, as we sort of started on this um, marathon, literally marathon hike, uh, said to me, I hadn't seen her for a while, she said, so you know, how, how are you what are your plans? What are you thinking you'll do? And I sort of said, "Well, I actually haven't thought about it at all. I don't know. I'm just living day to day and trying to survive and trying to make sure the kids are all doing okay." And um, and that was that. And then we did this this hike. Now I I grew up in Eastbourne. Uh, my father taught there for 25 years, as I said, and my husband and I had always said we would we would return to Eastbourne. Uh, once the kids had finished school and while I was walking on the downs and these incre- incredible views and I mean it was very very windy um, but beautifully bright day and it it was just a bit of an epiphany and I decided pretty much there and then that uh, it was time to head back to Eastbourne. It was time to head home. Uh, it was time to be near my sister, near my father-in-law um, and other family and so that was the beginning of of the plan uh, which is now rather miraculously taking place. So my youngest daughter is doing her GCSEs now in Bedford and she has got a place at Eastbourne College for September, Uh, so that was step one. Uh, step two was to find a house down there well I suppose step one was to to sell the businesses so so both the kiosk and the pavilion I managed to sell um, the kiosk just before lockdown and the pavilion in in July Um, and then Tess got her place at the school and then I found a house that I love and I've actually found a job that I'm loving as well which is sort of the it, it it's almost like the culmination of everything i've ever done in my squiggly old career all the lego bricks built up this is the this is the top of that tower this is the the ultimate job for me it pulls together all my skills all my experience all my networks all my charity experience and um i've i mean i've only been doing it since the 1st of april and and at the moment it's part time and remotely although i'm on site two days a week if i can be um but it's it's just ridiculous how the stars seem to kind of have aligned and although anyone that's that's lost their other half their you know soulmate their right hand uh will know it's it's you wouldn't wish it on anyone but i suppose being the kind of person i am uh this is this is where i find myself now so I think you know, I'm really
1: for you to share that with us is is really very generous of you on many levels. Not you know an easy thing to chat about, but that resilience in terms of you know you saying and having that epiphany, like that Eastbourne was a really happy place for for you and for for Rich and for to be able to think about. You know the future at a point when you're not thinking about the future. I think the people listening to this who are probably in a similar situation or might be facing it for whom that's really important to hear and that to hear that you're actually you know as you say that almost something you never perhaps envisaged but is bringing everything together through like what life throws at you but not something that was planned at all. Um It's very heartening but this new role you've got as Development Director at Eastbourne College really exciting but the skills that you bring it you know this is you you mentioned your fundraising we haven't really touched a lot on your fundraising and i'm really interested just to know the sort of skills that you found really useful in building things like um the soup fest festival but also the fact that people might not know this but your deputy lieutenant bedfordshire which came about through your charity work what are those skills that you're bringing into now this role this new role as development director and what does the role involve
2: so the role involves um reaching out to the wider community of the school so that includes the current parents the current pupils the past pupils the past parents as well as associated businesses and sort of people that live locally that have a connection to the school so it's being that that sort of uh, focal point for all those things um, there's an element of fundraising to it as well and um, when the next campaign launches for the school whether that's going to be for for scholarships or for capital projects you know I'll be heading that up but ultimately it's about stewardship it's about looking after people and I think that's ultimately what ties everything I've ever done together is that ability to connect with people and then to want to look after them um and I think that's that's ultimately what life's all about
0: isn't it yeah absolutely I mean it's that connecting Emma but it's that helping bit as well you know it's a very easy label to say you're a helper but um and as you've described very eloquently um perhaps some of what you've done in terms of the kiosk and pavilion was a good distraction and maybe that's why you you threw yourself into it but that that's not enough is it you you, you clearly are somebody who wants to to bring people together but to help bring people together not for your gain even back to that that receptionist back in the, the tv days of you know you're, you're not trying to do it callously you're doing it for genuine intent and, and that's broad scope in terms of what you're doing in that role and charities but also much much closer to home in terms of you know you've armed your five children incredibly well with um lego when i was a child was here's a big box go and try and work it out lego for my 13 year old daughter comes with an instruction plan and it feels like you've done that for their lego pieces you've given them a here's the steps that you should also think about as well so you know it's a really amazing story on how you've taken that whole squeakly line and turned it into a very coherent structure that's got incredible foundations, if I will.
2: Yeah, I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because the, the whole Soup Fest thing, so Soup Fest uh, came about because my parents, um, where they live, they have an annual um, soup kitchen where the local restaurants make soup and um, they all set up a field kitchen in the town square and people come and buy soup and bread which is also been donated and all the money goes to help the homeless and i'd been to that event a couple of times and i just thought you know bedford had such a terrible homelessness problem and i just thought oh we could do that in bedford and i think i i think there's some filter that i wasn't born with so i don't have the filter that says no you can't do that that would be impossible what are you thinking you know you're far too busy i just i just go ahead and do it partly maybe because um I remember when I, again, when I was back in Australia, when I was uh, living there after university and, and drinking coffee and eating panini on the beach and all those kind of things, there was this attitude amongst the Australians where if somebody said they were gonna do something or have a go at something or thinking of starting a business, everyone was just like, oh, great, you know, go for your life, What? just have a go, go for it. And I so clearly remember coming back to the UK and in a similar situation, a similar conversation, people would be, you know, sucking the air in between their teeth, going, "Oh, are you sure that's a good idea?" You know, and 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 it definitely, glass half empty. And I've I've never been like that. I've always been an optimist, and I've always been glass half full, and I've always been a positive person. Um, and I think you know, I just I just thought, "Yep, Superfest, we can do it in Bedford." Yep, I'll talk to the mayor. I'll talk to the high sheriff. I'll talk to the Lord Lieutenant. We'll, we'll do it then. We'll do it here. I'll talk to the restaurants. And of course, again, everything leading to everything else. I had all the contacts with all the restaurants in Bedford, you know, we all knew each other. So I said to them, oh, would you make a vat of soup? Yeah, sure, Emma, sure. You know, what flavor do you want? And, and that's how it all came about. And we've, we've raised a lot of money for the homeless in Bedford and, and also helped, I think, raise the profile of the problem and I'm on the Bedford Homelessness Executive and we meet regularly and work together all the different homeless agencies work together uh, which I don't think happens in a lot of counties so again it's just I don't know things just happen.
1: <laughs> they happen I, just, I love the way you laugh they just happen they don't happen because it's that pop- And I think, you know, somebody once said to me, and I think, in fact, it's even something that one of our previous guests, David, said, you know, surround yourself with positive people because, you know, the energy, I think, has come through this podcast of of just sort of, well, yes, I should be able to do this and I can do this. And if you surround yourself with people who think like that, you, in turn, I think, can start to think like that. So I think that's great advice for everybody is, you know, be positive positive. Um, seize the day and also I think you know see the art of the possible as well but what I'm really left with is is this feeling Emma that you know I, I'm just really intrigued as to what next because I have no doubt there's there's more to come um, and I should be watching your, your move to Eastbourne with real interest.
2: Well it's funny because I I sort of said to the kids right you know I've, I've sold the businesses we found a house we're going to move I'm just going to do nothing I'm going to sit in the garden and read books. That's what I want to do. And then this role at Eastbourne came up and, you know, it, it's just a little bit soon. And I was thinking, no, I can't do it because I wanted to have this space and this time to stop. And and then the more I looked at the job description, I was just thinking, well, it's it's just perfect. It's got my name all over it. I've got to go for it. Uh, and then when I, when I was successful, I was so chuffed. And then they said, oh, we'd like you to start the 1st of April. So um, I sort of... I sort of gulped and um and now of course it's it's great and uh, I'll just have to fit that reading in the garden in at weekends or evenings um and uh yeah so there's there's so much scope with this role as I said before it brings together all my different skills uh, whether that's fundraising or networking um it, it gives you the opportunity to come up with exciting ideas for events and activities um and what I'm really keen to do as well is to let the the leavers, especially this year after the upper sixth year that they've had, you know, let them understand that we are there as a community for them and it's about what we can do for them. Um, whether that's putting them in touch with mentors or putting them in touch with alumni overseas that they can go and, and visit or can help them if they're moving to a new city. Um, there's, you know, social events, there's arts events, there's all sorts of possibilities. And the message that I really want to get across to those youngsters is that you know they're not on their own once they leave school we're there for them the school continues to support them Uh, and we're an incredible resource for them Um, and I just hope we can keep those connections going because you know uh, well as we've discussed already you just never know where it where it might lead you and there I am back at the school that I loved you know when I grew up there and being in the sixth form and it just feels like like coming home and if I can if I can help those students and and benefit them in their squiggly or otherwise careers, then that's that's just brilliant.
0: Fantastic stuff there. Thank you so much, Emma. Shane, so much to take away from that. Well, as we saw, t- t- signposted a very squiggly career, but a brilliantly inspiring one in terms of dealing with an awful lot of adversity and looking for opportunity. So much to learn, I think. Yeah, a
1: huge amount. And I think, you know, we, we overuse the word sometimes inspirational, but not in this case. Emma is truly inspiring and somewhat exhausting, I have to say. I mean, I did <laughs> make you laugh at her saying you know, people across the street, but more from the sort of the, you feel slightly shame that your energy levels aren't quite out of those of Emma. Um, so, yeah, truly inspiring. Yeah, I, I do
0: think. wonder if she might have a watch that's different to mine, Shane. I've only got 24 hours in a day, but it feels like she's probably got somewhere like 36, 48 on her watch. <laughs>
1: I think that's probably true, actually, and very modest with it. I mean, I think it's very interesting Emma sort of almost glossed over the the entrepreneurial side of the founding of the business, selling a business during a pandemic. oh my goodness, that's not easy um and past editor of the year um and her businesses have won awards, so we didn't talk a lot about the business side, but an extremely good business woman.
0: yeah, absolutely, an incredible mother wife, all sorts of things that she can be incredibly proud. And I'm sure, and it would have been awfully embarrassing, I imagine, for her to, to share with her children, but I'm sure her children deep down are very, very proud of what she's done as well. Really, really inspiring stuff. And interesting, Shane, as well, in terms of, you know, taking those learnings, as we talked about, how, whatever the role you might be, starting in TV, moving around the world, Australia to Bahrain and back again, how everything you do in one place can really help and lead into whatever you do next, even if it's in an entirely different field or space.
1: Yes. And I think, you know, both you and I are lucky enough to have had quite a lot of international um, travel and experience. And I think the fact that Emma saw those opportunities somewhere else, reflecting on that when she said about, you know, it was normal to have a cafe. Um, in a park in Australia that served high quality coffee, but not quite so normal here. It's those ideas sometimes that you can come back from, whether it's on holiday or traveling or whether it'll happen again, Steve. I don't know what your thoughts are, you know, but actually working abroad um, and come yeah. back and bring it back with you.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, in some ways, we, we may in 2021 sit here thinking, goodness, the world feels a very big place because we're, we're locked out of so many different parts of the world. Um, for various reasons, but I think it 's also the other side chain potentially, and technology, like the technology we 're using right now to record this, allows the world to become smaller if you look at it in that way so if if you 've got an appetite to to go and explore, then firstly, as you 've said Shane and as as Emma articulated very well there 's a lot of transferables you know yes, there are different cultures and different values and different ways of of being in different countries but you, you can always find something to, to bring you to a common ground. So you can always be of value to people. But but also, you know, what's the opportunity, Shane, for you and I in the UK and anyone else listening in to find roles in other companies overseas that because of technology, you don't need to physically be there all the time, as we know. And and interestingly, we're seeing that in this country as well, not just abroad, that, you know, that the London life that many wanted, would have wanted over many, many years, of course, will come back. But roles are opening up in organisations that may be the other end of the country to you, that the opportunity's there. Uh, or indeed the competition's there as well, Shane, the challenge of, you know, uh, employees trying to find a way in, um, employers listening in should remember, look, you, your your recruitment base is nas- nationwide, if not global, if you're clever about it.
1: Yeah, that's I think that's a really key point. And it's one, in fact, that Emma touched on is sort of, you know, how do you get into it? It's not through temping necessarily, but possibly the model equivalent being there. The fractional working or the, the contracting or um, where you put your, your hours available and I think that's one of the things that you know mentoring students in terms of saying well if you've got some skills you've learnt some coding then you know join sites like Upwork and Hive and others where you can get some work experience but it might not be for a company in the UK it might be for a company somewhere else entirely um, but that's still really valuable and I, I think reflecting on it also that fractional work combined with a squiggly career is actually going to be the norm in the future. Mm.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. It's an interesting one. Uh, you know, you never know. Squiggly might seem a bit disorganized, but I think it's going with the flow. It's it's recognizing as as we've heard quite a few times on this series of of of, of looking for opportunity or turning circumstance into opportunity don't be boxed don't be afraid to think well uh, what can I offer to Australia what can I offer to Bahrain what can I offer to a a charity well how do I run a cafe in a park you know it's actually if you've got got the self-belief and and there's a fine line as we know Shane between a confidence and an arrogance but if you've got that self-belief and you're surrounded by the right kind of people then yeah that squiggly line is is in a very healthy state of being rather than a, a state of chaos for sure.
1: And who knew that, you know, your, your A-level in theatre studies would be put to such good use, Steve, in terms of your career of um, uh, both podcasting, obviously, but also a lot of time spent on stage, but maybe not the thespian sort of stage.
0: Well, yes, my Malvolio days in Shakespeare or my times of, of playing the homecoming pinter may have left me, Shane. But yeah, good use, but definitely use. I'll let the listener judge that. But it, you're right, it's interesting. And, and funny enough for me, having spent, a good part of the last 15, 16 years teaching and speaking on stage. I'd never really consciously connected that back at that stage of my life with a really strong passion to go into performing arts that for circumstance just didn't happen. um, That yeah, there's transferables. So, you know, I perform, I suppose, but we all perform, Shane. And I think that's a really interesting learning without yet again referencing an over-referenced book on these series that To Sell is Human by Daniel H. Pink is, you know we sell all of the time we perform we have to try and convince and cajole others in in all aspects of life so having some learned wait, skill, a share
1: of on this. I book. wish
0: I was I wish <laughs> I was I'm sure he could, he could offer it but it but it's, it's always stuck with me it's a book that I read a number of years ago that actually don't see yourself as a marketeer don't see yourself as a finance person see yourself as a salesperson or as a performer you need to be able to whatever the medium and back to perhaps What we've just been touching on when it comes to recruitment and and new jobs in the new world is, you know, somebody that might be good in an office now needs to be really good over Zoom or whatever the platform is. It's a new medium for us to to perform, to sell, to to engage people, whatever it is we're doing. It's It's a really interesting world and a squiggly, positive world for sure.
1: So from one thespian to another, Emma, again, you know, studied um, English and theatre, obviously very useful skills, despite what, what some might be saying in, in career advice today. Um, carried you both very well through the
0: well, beginning yeah, to Well, certainly did, Emma. Uh, and interestingly, if we went back to my career's advice when I was 14, there was a piece of software that was used by my um, high school that suggest, that spat out one day that I should be a window dresser. So I've not quite fulfilled that. That's an actual true story, Shane.
1: <laughs> um, I, I, I'm looking forward to this. I can see that this you know, this could be your, your something to, it's, to look it's my, forward it's my, to.
0: It, It'll come. Once this podcast career leaves us by, Shane, then oh, look I out see. for the windows of uh, John Lewis. I, I, the I think there's something there,
1: actually. I think, you know, given your past sort of... Um, theatricality awards events those who who don't know this but steve was was a man who dressed us all once for for an event in lab coats with test tubes they
0: were clearly right steve (laughs) maybe so yeah that's more of a kind of living sculpture anyway enough of me and enough of this for today thanks as ever to shane thank you very much to emma for giving up our time and sharing so much with us we really appreciate it and i hope it's inspired you whatever she said, and maybe you can look at your career. If it's not squiggly enough, don't be afraid to make it more squiggly. That was one one of episode three. There's many, many more episodes if you have not listening to what we've learned. Uh, where have you been? We've missed you. But you'll find us on Spotify, on Apple Music, on Google, on Acast, wherever you get your, Spotify, um, your podcasts, you'll find us. Should maybe on a commission for Spotify, Shane, they're referencing that twice. Daniel H. Pink and Spotify. But find us on there, and if you want to comment on any of this, You'll find us on www.podcast.co.uk, which links through to LinkedIn, our home there, where you can share thoughts on this episode, maybe other episodes, or indeed future episodes. You might be inspired to come and listen or come and chat with us. We'd be very happy to hear from you. We'll be back soon. In the meantime, thanks, everyone.